1: your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedio cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. Ryan, first and foremost, have you recovered since the last time we recorded when Thomas Drance has dropped a bunch of Maxim Mammon? Bombs on us.
0: You know, I, I I was really hoping Vancouver could uh could make the playoffs just so we could get more Drance uh content on the mammon front. What 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 comes next?
1: You know? Oh don't worry. He's he's on the beat. I go for well, plenty of walks with them with our puppies, and uh, he's, sure. pitched, he's he always pitches me on some pretty crazy ideas. So uh, <laughs> for for the Athletic subscribers to Athletic Van, I wouldn't be worried. Rand has you covered all the way through this. Off-season. Hell yeah, let's go. Um, because here's the plan today. We're going to focus on uh, the first round series in the East and Central Divisions. We can touch on the West a little bit, uh, but we're recording this on Thursday morning afternoon, and we still don't necessarily know who... Uh, is going to play who in the in the West, depending on uh, how Colorado does tonight. So we can touch on it a bit, but I still don't want to fully deep dive it. And uh, for the listeners of the show, I've got a, another show on the North Division coming later on, uh, thanks to their delayed start time for some reason. So uh, we're going to focus today on the East and Central. We've got four, I think, really fun series with a lot to dissect there. And... I gave you a bit of homework in terms of prepping for it because I know everyone ultimately just wants to know like, okay, who do you think is going to win so that we can either pat ourselves on the back or dunk on people that didn't believe in my favorite team. But I think that's ultimately like the least interesting part of these previews and then the content here. I think for me, like I, I want to focus the show on setting up every series for the listeners so they can be like Leo, Leo DiCaprio at home watching these games, pointing at their screen going, aha, Ryan and Dimitri told me to look for this. So we're going to... That's
0: the thing they we're gonna said. Identif-
1: yeah. <laughs> we're going to identify the head-to-head matchups, X factors that could swing things, and what these teams ultimately need to do to actually win. So uh, it's going to be fun. I think the first place to start here, though, is you know we're in a unique position this postseason for obviously a variety of reasons, but one of them is we've already seen every single one of these matchups at least eight times this season. As know, right. evaluators, uh, how do we... How do we weigh that in terms of whether it actually matters, whether there's anything to glean from it in terms of like stylistic fits in terms of strengths and weaknesses of the teams? Because I think like ultimately we'd probably both agree that games that happen in January where a bunch of the players weren't even playing probably don't have a bearing on these playoff matchups. But at the same time, it is eight games worth of data for us to look at.
0: Yeah, I I kind of took it on a case by case basis for, I mean, like, for example, we'll talk about it later, but like. The Washington Boston series. It's like, well, I, you know, I throw out everything uh, except maybe the one game where they had Hall and Lazar in the lineup for Boston because uh, the Boston defense had uh, 1 million injuries this year. Uh, I think it's the number of uh, man games lost is a million. And, um, you know, uh, in their most recent matchup, the Capitals barely beat the Providence Bruins. So, like I have, I have nothing to take from that season series really, you know? Um, but you know, with, with something like Florida and Tampa, maybe there's a little more, I don't know.
1: Okay. Well, let's, let's get into, it. let's start with the central. Let's do uh let's, let's ease our way and let's save Florida and Tampa for the second part of this. Let's do Carolina okay. versus Nashville first. Um, and, you know, we're probably gonna spend 10, 15 minutes on this. I, I, I think everyone would naturally agree that Carolina is a superior team. Pretty much every metric you look at, they were one of the best teams in the league. Nashville was much more middle of the pack, even slightly below average in a bunch of them. But I think it's kind of boring for us to be like, well, Carolina is way better and they're going to sweep them. So let's instead uh, podcast
0: look, over good night. Yeah, have oh, there good we ones.
1: go. Uh, you learned, you learned something here today on the PDO guest. So instead let's talk about how, like what the formula or the roadmap is here for Nashville to maybe not win the series, but let's say, like, make it very competitive, six games, maybe even push it to a seven. Like, how do they make this a legitimate fight against uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes?
0: Well, you know, I think I think what's interesting is they haven't, you know, since they got super hot down the stretch, everybody's like, well, you the Saros, obviously. Like, that's – and, you know, in, in the playoffs, goaltending is your, like, biggest determiner of success or failure, right? Like, when's the last time a team won the Stanley Cup without – their goalie at least being a little above average, you know? Um, but the thing with Nashville is they've also, like, even if they haven't necessarily played well, they've filled the net uh, this this whole time. And so I think the real question for me is, you know, obviously Carolina's gotten well above average goaltending all season,
1: but from two guys where you're like, really those guys? You know what I mean? Um, well, at least, at least the question is who which one of them is actually going to be the guy in this series right like and if one of them falters are they going to quickly move to the other one
0: yes yeah the, the you know like, well again we'll touch on this kind of thing later but like how short is the leash on uh versus a Mirazik? or you know uh i i listened to uh your episode with with dom uh from i think it earlier today maybe. Oh, there we go wow that's a lot of Dimitri um, for you today yeah. Um, well, I, I didn't want to have you go. Well, I, obviously I talked about this on the episode with Dom already and I'm like, well, now I look like an idiot. <laughs> um, but yeah. So like to, to the point you guys made on that show, how much of that is just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Who's back there. We're just really, really good as a, as a team. So I think that is the, the real question for me is like, does the goaltending hold up? Who's the goalie or does it really matter? either of those things for carolina
1: well so i was looking at the season series between these two teams and if you scrap the last two where carolina already had the number one seed basically locked up this past week and and nashville actually had something to play for at least in the first matchup um carolina won all six it was a 23 to 9 goal differential the one game that really sticks in my mind in particular was a mid-april contest where it was probably the most one-sided performance i saw all year where it was three point. The the expected goals in the first period of that game were 3.65 to 0.3 in Carolina's favor uh, shot attempts, 47 to 11. And Carolina does that to teams. Like when they get playing downhill, they just, you can't get the puck from them and they're just putting everything on net. Um, I think for me, yeah, the goaltending is huge. And, That's for every series. I think Saros having that 943 is a percentage over the past 25 games certainly throws an interesting wrinkle here. If he can just keep playing out of his mind, that's going to be a big factor. I think the one for me is the special teams because Carolina's aggressive style leads to a lot of penalties. They take, I think they Mm -hmm. spend like the fourth most time this season uh, killing penalties shorthanded. And I think later on in the postseason that might become a bit of a problem for them if they play a, well, even round two against Florida or Tampa Bay who have a really good power play that can potentially uh, punish them for that. In this case, the Preds are 23rd in power play goals, 25th in expected goals in the power play. I don't really see them fully taking advantage of that. Now, we saw a very limited sample size of them having both Tolbin and and Forsberg in the lineup at the same time, and they look much better with with the two of them on the flanks. So maybe that changes things.
0: Right. Yeah. I, 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 made a note of that because I was like, wow, they're, they're like goals for and against numbers at five on five since Saros got hot are ridiculous. Like they're outscoring, I think almost two goals an hour, something like that at five on five. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're to your point, their power plays horrible. Uh, since the start of April three of 36, uh, Pk since the start of April twenty seven of thirty five, which is like a little below eighty percent, obviously something like that. So not good either. And you know, okay, yeah, they're they're good at five on five. You know, who's good at five on five is uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. So yeah. I, yeah, like you don't want to be putting your your opponent on the power play because especially in a a, a seven game series, you know two power play goals can be the difference, but with that having been said, it is the Nashville Predators. So, Well,
1: and then the issue for them is normally, I would say, um, you know, especially with like some of their bottom six players, they might be incentivized since they're a less talented team to, to really kind of muck it up and, and try to like goad Carolina into a sure. special teams battle where they're just like, you know, after the whistle, maybe throwing a little cheap shot here, they're trying to rile them up, trying to uh, get away from five on five but Carolina is the second highest scoring team on the power play behind just Edmonton right. Oilers and are very, very good with any personnel they use there. So I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that's the solution for, for Nashville. Um, one thing I am interested about, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a determining factor, but the predators are approved for over 12,000 fans at their home games in this series uh, for yeah. games three and four. Uh, I just wanted to note that because I don't think it's going to necessarily have a bearing on the outcome of the games. I think as fans watching on TV, it's going to be really weird to adjust to that. And it's going to be nice to see and hear, I think uh, after watching all of these uh, fanless games. So that's going to be something that I guess monitor in terms of like whether there is a bit more of a home ice advantage based on that.
0: Yeah. I I can't remember. There was some, uh, I think when you, when you watch games on ESPN plus during the intermission, they just kind of go to like, highlight packages from the previous season. And um, it, it's jarring to be like, oh, wow, there's a whole ton of people at that game. That's great. Like you see a guy score a crazy goal and the crowd goes ballistic and you're like, oh yeah, there used to be crowds at hockey games. That's so weird. Like I, I do wonder how much of that, like, you know, intensity or whatever kind of translate, especially because I'm now as of today, Uh, my vaccine status is, I'm good, I'm good to go, like, today. And so, like, I'm going to a restaurant tonight for my, for my girlfriend's birthday, and I'm going to go to the movies tomorrow. And, like, I'm just ready to run through a brick wall to go to all of this stuff. So, like, I can't even imagine. Oh, and also, uh, one of those things I'm doing is I'm going to my favorite team's uh, playoff game for the first time in a year. Like, those, those fans are going to be so jacked. And I do wonder like how that affects just like the, the kind of flow of the game and, and the gameplay and stuff like that, because, you know, uh, obviously this is all anecdotal, but like guys were telling, uh, Wyszynski earlier this year, like, yeah, we kind of fight just because like, we got to get ourselves going a little bit. Like there's more fighting this year for that reason. And I don't know. Like, I think that's exciting. I think that, could lead to better hockey honestly
1: yeah there's a human element to it i, sp- I think especially yeah. like in, in game three in the first one like i imagine it's going to be a bit of a added boost like, you're yeah. saying you're excited about having a dinner imagine how excited you'd be to see rocco grimaldi score in person well i you know <laughs> hey i'm always excited
0: <laughs> tv in person whatever it doesn't matter to me um I'd love to see rocco
1: okay give me a do you have any other sort of matchups or or uh x factors or just like something that, that viewers should be watching wh- for when they're, when they're watching these games in terms of it can be anything.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, that I thought was really indirect. Well, okay. Two things is they don't, Nashville uh, doesn't really like go. Oh yeah. Th- that's our go-to guy right there. That line is our go-to line like Michael Grant or Marcus Grandland rather leads
1: Michael. Uh, it is my, I think Mark Marcus is in the KHL. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. I wrote down Marcus and then I was like that
1: that can't, that, right. not, that can't be
0: right. That can't be right. And then I, but then I read it twice and I was like, well, it must be Marcus. Why would I write it down otherwise? But here's a life hack. Because I,
1: just go M. Granlund.
0: There you go. Um, uh, the reason why is I did this at like 12 o'clock last night. I did all this homework. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he only averages like 19 and a half minutes a game. And so it just seems like they do everything by committee. And I wonder how much that affects things just because I, as much as I like Carolina's roster, I don't think their bottom two or their bottom six forwards are like world beaters or anything like that. So I wonder, I wonder what the, what the coaching strategy is there with with Heinz just because it's like, yeah, we can like, we're look, Hey, we're going to get smoked by their first two lines. Sure. But if we like, if we can make it interesting against their second two lines, that's something, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm, Speaking of those top guys for Carolina, I'm very interested to see uh I just love watching Aho and, and NHS play off oh, each yeah. other. Uh, you know, shorthanded, they're like just have insane passing plays, but uh it's kind of like an embarrassment of riches for them where Robert Demore can mix and match in terms of like Terra Linen's back now and it's Vetchnikov and then NHS, like he doesn't And the common denominator is there. Sebastian Ajo is really freaking good. And pretty much anyone you pay with, play with him is going to be awesome. But uh, I love to see those two guys together in particular. Uh, And then on the other side, like I mentioned, uh, Tolbin and Forsberg have uh, some of that, uh, you know, very, very low rent version of Kucherov, Stamko's going
0: poor man's version. Yeah. Yeah. Where,
1: where, but it's like two shooters on the flanks where like, it at least gives you something to think about. And as as soon as you remove one of them, it's like, okay, we can just focus on this guy's shot and I'll worry about anything else. Um, I guess the last one is is the Predators now that they are healthy on, on the blue line, um, dealing with Carolina's forecheck, which is like arguably the best in the league. See how Ellis and Neckholm and Yosi can maybe oh. neutralize that a little bit. Like they're one of the few teams that actually has more than 1.5 good defensemen that can move the puck. So so that could give them a little bit uh, of an X factor there. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an entertaining series because because Nashville is playing well, and I think the the season long numbers don't necessarily do justice to what they look like right now heading in because of their injuries and because of that horrible start they got off to.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, again, like we we've said it a few times, but like they're one of the hottest teams in the league or like, I wouldn't want to play them if I'm Carolina, you know what I mean? But then again, I guess I wouldn't want to play Florida or Tampa
1: either. So that's yeah. uh that's the central division folks. I love it. Um, all right. I think, uh, do you have anything else on this one or should we move on to the other central? division? Good. Okay, we're good. All right, let's do uh, let's do Florida, Tampa Bay here as I flip over my page and get to my uh, long laundry list of notes for this one. So the reason why I struggled with, and this is the first round series I think I'm most pumped for to watch. Um, yeah, I agree. You almost have to throw the numbers out the window for Tampa Bay because if you actually are going under the assumption that Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos will be back healthy, they ultimately don't really matter what we saw in the first fifty-six games from them just because Nikita Kucherov is so good that like they had fine numbers. It's not like they were a bad team this regular season, but their ceiling just gets increased so much more if if Kutrov is going to be a hundred percent.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um you know, like their injury situation is crazy though, Tampa's I I, you know, some of these guys I'm sure were just getting like sat for for precautionary reasons. But And their injury list as of midnight last night is uh, Hedman, Kucherov, McDonough, Palat, Stamkos, Rota, and uh, Goodrow. Yeah, that that's like a borderline, like that's a respectable All Star game lineup. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess my my thing is. how like I'm sure a lot of them are going to play, but how close to 100% are all of them?
1: You know, I think it is a, a bit of a leap to assume that you're just going to get the absolute best version out of all those oh, players, sure. even if they do play. Uh, I wouldn't want to be betting against them because they're really freaking good. Yeah, uh, I think the concern. The concern for me here, though, is like Headman's going to play, but. Chris Johnson recently reported that he's gonna have an off-season surgery based on an injury he suffered at the end of March in a game. Since that injury, here is five on five numbers. Played 340 minutes. The Lampa B Lightning have been outscored 24 to 16 with him on the ice. They have 30, 39% of the high danger attempts and sub 50% of the shot share. And that's just like it's very clear that it's only 19 or 20 games or whatever. But Hedman clearly isn't the Victor Hedman we saw last postseason where every time he was on the ice, the Tampa Bay Lightning were just completely dominating. And if you're not going to get that version, that is alarming to me because he really is the one player they, they can't really replace with anyone.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it. it obviously all that stuff about, well, he, you know, like he's going to get the Norris this year was decided last season. And then, like, even, even the biggest, like, Uh, don't look at the numbers guys had to be like, well, look, I mean, that last month he was so bad. Like we have to have a conversation about Adam Fox now, you know? And like, yeah, Fox should win it, whatever. That's kind of beside the point, but like, yeah, he, he wasn't just like playing hurt. He was horrible doing it. Like, you know, again, like if you want to say what percentage was he based on those numbers, that's like maybe 40% of what you would expect out of Victor Hedman. Right. Like, yeah. And so you're just like, well, you gotta, you gotta play. It's the playoffs. I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously you can't replace him, but like, can you, the other, the real question is, can you afford to uh, give him the kind of run out you would normally give him if he's going to be that bad?
1: Yeah. At the same time though, as long as he's on the ice, he's still dangerous and man, I'm excited to watch Nikita Kucherov. I missed him this season for all the, all the talk about the shenanigans of whether he actually could have played this year or what Tampa Bay was doing. I'm just excited to watch Nikita Kucherov play hockey again. Cause the last time we saw him was like at an all time high level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously uh, in my opinion, getting a, a recent MVP award winner is good. <laughs> yes. And um, you know, like to, to your point earlier though, can he come in and be even remotely at that level after not playing hockey for almost a full calendar year?
1: Uh, you know, his, his I don't game know. his game is based on timing, so it might yeah. take some getting, getting into there, but he's so skilled that I'm sure that he can, he can fake it.
0: Yeah. With that having been said, it's Nikita Kucherov, right? Like that. And that's, that's with all those guys. Well, you know, Stamkos hasn't played in a while. Who knows? Well, I mean, the last time he played, he uh, had that two unbelievable shift game and was like, see you later. You know, like he, he can just do that uh, because that's the talent level.
1: So um, I mentioned this on, on that pod with Dom, but when we were talking about the Panthers and the adjustments they made this season, I I thought this two part series that Jack on did on his newsletter was some of the best reading that I've done in preparation for these playoffs. And he was talking about how uh, the Panthers have basically like systematically freed up their defensemen. So they let one defenseman jump in on the rush and essentially try to create four on threes going the other way on on the attack off the rush. And then they come back and quickly tighten up and basically stop anything from happening and transition defense. And it's obviously easier said than done, but they've executed it really well. And it's, it's something I'm going to be watching for because, you know, the way that Mackenzie Weger has played since Aaron Eckblad got, got injured and him and Forsling essentially being like the best top pairing in the league in that time. I know. uh, unreal. is And it's not really a fluke either. Like you watch them and, and they legitimately look good. It's not, oh, they, look like, great. Yeah. It's, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. And then you look at natural stat trick and it's like, huh, they had a good game. Like, nope, they're definitely passing the eye test too. I'm really curious to see how this series goes from the perspective of, I, I think Florida has a really good chance if they just actually keep playing this way. If they get a bit spooked by Tampa Bay skill, especially with Kucherov and Stamkos coming back and change the aggressive nature they play in. I think that could lead to problems for them. So it's it's kind of an obvious thing, but like I think whichever team sort of dictates like if they can keep playing the way they want to play, I think they're going to be very successful.
0: Yeah, and I mean like to to the point earlier about like how much do we wait uh, performances in the regular season against one another? Well, look like they just absolutely beat the brakes off of Tampa in, in a two game series to like lock up. So, and like yeah, again, Tampa had a million injuries, a lot of mitigating factors, but like they outscored them seven to one at five on five. It wasn't like oh yeah, we got a couple of bounds. they they push they push play in the right direction, and uh, you know I think a lot of that is just like Gwenville was like oh uh, Huberto and Barkov shouldn't play together, and it worked for a whole season, you know, and and again people thought, ooh you know Ekblad's, Ekblad's done for the year, they they might be in trouble in Mackenzie week. I was like.
1: It's fine. I got it.
0: So, you know, I, I think the only question to me for, for Florida is, again, what's the goalie situation look like? Do you go with Bobrovsky short leash? Do you go with Spencer Knight? Maybe a little bit of a longer lead? Like, Do you,
1: you see Dom's preview? He has the Panthers at a 53% probability of winning the series with Chris Drieger in it and a 43% chance with Sergey Bobrovsky in it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that... I buy that. That that makes sense. Like, you know, I, I don't. Again, like it's a it's a classic thing of like I don't think Bobrovsky is as bad as people would act like he's been. Right. Um, like he's been fine this year, but also he's a ten and a half million dollar goalie or whatever the number is, and so uh, you you can't just get away with fine there. But like, yeah, Dreger, Knight, wh- whoever you want to say, like. But then it's. You know, again, do they have a short leash? Like, if Tampa goes out and scores three goals in the first period, what happens then? Because mm-hmm. Tampa can totally do that to yep. anybody. And and so I the, I think that's the most fascinating thing about this like entire series on either team is like what is Quenville doing next? Because he has three on paper good options, but in actual practice, maybe zero. <laughs> like you you just don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you have three goalies, you really have zero goal. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Um, yeah, I think it's such a, a interesting stylistic matchup because I was looking at Corey Schneider's, uh, tracking this season and no team creates more shots off the rush than the Panthers do, which speaks to like what I was saying about the four on threes they create with their defensemen. And, and I think only Colorado and Colorado creates more shots at pretty much any single possible game state you think of than any other team, but only Colorado creates more off of, uh, off the cycle than than Tampa Bay does. And so it's like, it'll be really interesting to see who can dictate that in terms of, I think Tampa Bay would love to grind on them a little bit and keep them hemmed in their own zone. Whereas Florida is going to be looking to fly the zone as soon as they can. And there's just going to be so much what I love about watching these two teams. And this is what I'd recommend to anyone watching the series is there's so much in zone movement. Like one of my biggest gripes with, with NHL teams is like how conservative they are sometimes in terms of like all right, we're going to have our defensemen stand at the two, at the two points and we're going to have our forwards stand at the exact same spot in the in the offensive yeah. zone. And these teams like they're just moving in and out, interchanging. You never know where a defenseman's going to be, where a forward's going to be. And sometimes I think for Tampa Bay that might be a problem in this series where those defensive those breakdowns in the offensive zone can lead to massive odd man rushes for for Florida and that's a bit of a concern, but it's going to be really fun to watch for us.
0: Yeah, and and Kind of like you said, stylistically, I, th- I think that this kind of matters too is like how Cooper handles the the Barkov versus Huberto lines because uh, it was Huberto versus Headman pretty much uh, in every matchup that Headman was in the lineup for, and and McDonough versus Barkov, and like do you stick with that cuz you know did it, i don't know that it really worked <laughs> or but like again you know these are the McDonough and uh, and and Hedman are two of the best defensemen in the league so maybe it doesn't matter i don't know but like j- that that is also something I, I was pretty interested to see about like the
1: how the result shook out i really want to um, see barkov versus point just just go power versus power Just see like yeah. two of my favorite centers in the league just duel do, do it out and see who wins
0: yeah, his most his most common uh, opponent on the Panthers was Mackenzie Wegar. Mm. and so and uh, Weegar uh, did well against him.
1: Weegar does well against everyone. He's good. If, well, I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm really yeah. I, it's going to be, but this seven game series is going to be a totally different test, and and I think, uh, yeah, we'll 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 see if Tampa Bay if they start playing how Tampa Bay can if Florida has to make an adjustment or whether they just stick to the way they played all regular season. but oh, and the, other,
0: the other thing we've got to say, one last thing, is mm-hmm. uh, Vasiliski has been bad lately. You
1: know? Recognize employees with Custom Ink. Show customer appreciation with Custom Ink. Outfit your teams with Custom Ink. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at customink.com. Make Custom Ink your custom gear partner with great customer service quality products, and all in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy to use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. Yeah. Yeah. Is that,
0: is that the team in front of him? Is that him? Because he got, you know, a huge percentage of their early games and it just kind of wore him out. I don't know, but like that, that is definitely something you got to keep an eye on. Cause like, if Vasilevsky can't make a stop, he, they're not the Panthers. Where it's like, well, I mean, the other guys are probably fine. It's like, oh, we have Vasilevsky, and that's about it.
1: Well, you especially know, with so. the shots, that the Panthers are going to generate. They're going to need Vasilevsky yeah. to be in his game. Yep. Um, all right, I think that's about it for this series. Did you have anything else? I feel like we touched on no, all the that main yeah. topics. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, uh, and then we're going to pick up with the East Division matchups. Sounds good. All right. Um, So let's start with the East. Let's do Bruins Capitals first. Um, So with the Bruins, I guess the caveat here is that they played 16 games after the deadline, not counting that last one, where, as you mentioned, they basically just played their AHL lineup. Eight of those games were against Buffalo and New Jersey, and I think that does need to be mentioned for context Mm -hmm. purposes in terms of the numbers. That said, they went 12-3-1. They outscored those teams in those 16 games, 57 to 30. And their shots, high danger attempts, and expected goal shares at 5-on-5 were all comfortably north of 60%. And so I guess the main takeaway for me here, obviously, they're going to be playing a better team now, is though that just from watching them and how the numbers back it up, you just can't really say enough about how much of a slam dunk adding Taylor Hall to this team was in terms of unlocking their potential at 5-on-5. Like David Krejci just looks like an entirely different person since they added him in terms of Hall's ability to just get the puck to dangerous areas, up the ice, make life easier for him. And uh, yeah, they look like a a very, very good team, acknowledging that they did play a bunch of bad teams along the way.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, there was an article, I think on the athletic about uh, Taylor hall was talking about why David Krejci and him work so well together. And the answer was basically, uh, David Krejci is a right-handed center and he almost has never played with it. Like he played a little bit with Sam Gagne in, in Edmonton. And he's like, oh yeah, center who can get me the puck without going to his backhand is like such a huge difference maker for me. Like I feel like a completely new player, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the article, it's like, yeah, and he'll probably resign with Boston for like 6 million bucks uh, long-term. So bad news for everybody else. But I, I do wonder, um, you know, like, I, as you mentioned, they, they played a bunch of bad teams down the stretch, but also like they destroyed those teams yep. and even when they played good teams, uh, they destroyed those teams as well, you know? So like, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to actually have to play a good team up to seven games in a row, but I don't look at the capitals and say, well, you know, there's a team that's going to give Taylor Hall and David Krejci matchup problems. <laughs>
1: Well, let's leave the capitals part of this for a second. Uh, okay. So the Bruins' second line at 515 since that deadline, Hall, Krejci, and Craig Smith, 180 minutes, up 13-1, 67% shot share, uh, and high-danger attempts are 42-20. to 20. Um, Hall is flying around like an absolute mad lad again, just doing wild stuff off the rush. That yeah, goal he scored so in overtime cool. against Islanders was very, very fun. Um, I like that people quickly shifted their stance from – him shooting 2.3% and that being a sign that he was done as a, as a good player to being, oh, well, of course, yeah, now on the Bruins, I mean, yeah, he's a better team. Of course, he's Why doing Why wouldn't he? Well. Yeah. yeah Oh, he wasn't trying in Buffalo. It's like, no, you, I'm pretty sure you thought he sucked because you don't understand how shooting percentages work. And now you're right, safe phase.
0: To be fair to those people, which I don't, I'm not super inclined to be, but like he was not very good in New Jersey and then he was good at five on five in Arizona, but he was didn't do anything on the power play really um and so you know i think those two things on top of well look the sabers are terrible obviously and like he didn't help and 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 that kind of stuff like i i can i kind of saw where they were coming from but to your point it's like yeah you didn't think he was going to stop shooting 2.3 percent like like come on like even again, even if you're not a numbers guy, like you have to at some point just go. You know what? I have like a basic understanding understanding of how percentages work in the sport, right? Like, yeah, you would think, you a, but you, you would think, and yet here we are. right.
1: Well, I I get the argument that he was making eight million. It was a one year deal, it was a unique circumstance. And, and when you're playing a player that much, you expect them to be this type of impact player. That he I I. I don't think he is. And I think it's that's okay, right? Like there's very few players in this league. I think that you can just play them with anyone and they're going to have awesome numbers. Like that's why they're superstars. I think there's a whole nother group of players who you put them in the right setting and they'll make everyone better and also do well themselves. And then there's some players that you can play them with stars and they'll get their numbers, but they won't necessarily make anyone better. And I think Hall kind of fits in that second category of, if you put him with the right talent around him, he's going to look awesome. If you ask him to do every single thing, well, the puck's probably not going to go into the net that much.
0: Yeah. And also I think, you know, getting them away from the tough matchups because that's Bergeron's job or Marchand's job or whatever you want to say, like that helps a lot. Like you shuffle Taylor hall one spot down the lineup and suddenly he looks like the MVP candidate again. You know what I mean? Like he's just been unbelievable to your point earlier. Like, uh, when he's been on the ice, there have been 16 goal scores, 15 have been for Boston at five on five. Like that's crazy over a 16 game stretch. Um, so, you know, like, I, and to that point earlier, or, or, you know, I, I think um, I wonder what the matchups are going to be against the Capitals because you go either, you know, the Oshie line or the, uh, the Ovechkin line. Right. And yep. I, I don't, I don't look at either of those guys and go, well, though, you know, those guys can give a haul and create you like a serious run for their money and then, you know, hem them into their own zone and that kind of thing. Because what those guys do uh, is they're, they just don't give you the puck, right? <laughs> like they, they just get in on the four check and that's the end of uh, your, your possession a lot of the time. And then obviously, you know, the, the, the Bergeron line, you just go, well, Put them out there against anybody; they're going to dominate right. them. So, I I do wonder, but like I don't think that it matters that much, honestly.
1: Well, the question for me, it's really tough to evaluate the series because we don't know who Washington is going to have in the lineup. any because that's how I believe is still on the COVID list. Who knows if he's even going to play? Samsonov is still on there, I believe. uh Oshi was banged up at the end of the regular season. obechkin yep. played in the last game, but the fact that he was out with his lower body injury and then played one shift and was out again. Like that's alarming. Obviously, um, at full health, I would say like especially a five one five. That Baxter Moshi manta line is the one. If I was Bruce Cassidy, I'd be targeting in terms of okay. If we slow this line down, if five one five, we're going to do, do okay against this team because that's sort of the scariest opposition for me. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, if the Capitals don't have all their all their firepower, then it's going to change things um yeah I, I think the capitals are better than their raw numbers would indicate like they're never a team that really dominates shot share that much but they create a bunch of great looks because of the high-end talent they have they up have front, right talent. like yeah absolutely. they get the puck into the slot they create off the rush they create off the cycle like they get good looks they're not just blasting it into your shin pads from the point and so they're obviously going to look better in terms of you know expected goal models than than just regular shot stuff would indicate and so uh I think they have more firepower here of healthy, and I think it is much more of an evenly balanced matchup than it would look like on paper. But the caveat there is what they're going to look like in terms of their personnel.
0: Yeah, that's what I wrote down is how healthy are they really? Because, yeah. um, you know, uh, Laviolette, I think right before that last game or, or coming off their second to last game was like, yeah, everybody's out with a lower body injury, like every guy on the roster is. And you know they played pretty much everybody um, when they played the Providence Bruins. Uh, like everybody, everybody got into the game pretty much, but um, except Kuznetsov and, and Samson, obviously. But um, you know, I obviously they put they pushed a, a minor league roster around pretty good, but they still barely won that game. And the, the other thing to say is, I yeah, I think the I think forwards uh, matchup. In an interesting way, I, I look at that Washington defense, and I'm just like, "Look, I know the Bruins' defense is what it is, but like, ooh, like, let me put it this way: uh, they they had Carlson out there against the Bergeron line uh, in the regular season. Uh, they got outscored six to one at five on five when when Carlson was out there against Bergeron. So, I I don't know I don't know what the solution is on that back end, and obviously, like the the goaltending for Washington. Has not been good either.
1: So, yeah, the matchup that I have to watch in this one is is kind of obvious, but it's the Capitals' power play, which unsurprisingly scored at the fourth highest rate this season uh, yep. against the Bruins' penalty kill, which not only gives up the second fewest goals but also scores the second most shorthanded goals uh, in seventy yep. in seventy three minutes with Bergeron and Marchand on the ice shorthanded this season. The Bruins are up seven to six. Uh, and so, uh, I'm very interested to see that because obviously I think the capitals are going to need to do a lot of the damage on the power play and and the Bruins are going to make them pay if they're not very tight with what they're trying to do. So, uh, that's going to be something that's going to be that interplay between like those two strengths for those two teams is going to be really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, no, I mean that. That is like the engine of what, much like Winnipeg in a lot of ways, like the engine of what makes Washington good is well, if you give them a power play, they're going to make you feel bad about it. You know, like they're even if they don't score, they're going to scare the hell out of you. And, um, yeah, I, like you say, obviously, Bergeron and Marshand is like, yeah, we're not scared of anybody. Why would we be? Um, uh, and there was actually a really good story in, in the Globe today about uh, how good Marshand is shorthanded. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm never going to count out the capitals just because like, if you give them three power plays in a game, the odds are going to get the one goal they need to, to win a playoff game is, is pretty good, you know? And, but, and I don't feel like Boston is like, yeah, we still, we're, we do a good job of staying out of the box. Um, so
1: yeah. well, they're, one, they're one of the, the capitals are a tricky opponent for them because the Bruins, do not give you a lot of opportunities, but the Capitals are one of the few teams that can get away with that and score. They still. don't need a lot of opportunities. Exactly. Right. Whereas like a lot of other teams, the Bruins can just be like, all right, we're going to limit what we give you. And since you're a volume team, you're going to be screwed. And the Capitals are like, all right, we'll score four goals on 18 shots tonight and, and still win. So, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the other thing to say is, you know, uh, we, we've made a, a couple references to how banged up Boston has been uh, on the blue line. Uh, not anymore, really. I think like John Moore is the only guy where you're like, oh, he, you know, he might be in the lineup in an ideal circumstance, but he's the only one that's um that's on the shelf right now. So if, if they can, if they can stay healthy on, on the back end, like, you know, they have two, maybe like, you know, two legitimately legitimately good pairings. Now that like Grizzly and, and Riley and, and McAvoy are all, ready to go and if and if carlo is good to go then okay even better and then uh, maybe our third pair is fine and that's that's the worst thing you can say about their defense when it's healthy i don't know yeah uh
1: yeah i don't really have anything else i guess i had a note of like i feel like Vitik vanacek because it seems like he is going to be their goalie if samson doesn't come back his highs are very high and his lows are very very low So I don't know what you're going to get on a game to game basis from him. He could steal them some games. He could also just look dreadful. Whereas I I find it interesting because I find Rask to be one of the more consistent options, obviously, and added. So it's like, it's kind of polar opposites in in that regard, which might be fine for the Capitals, because if you view them as a slightly inferior team here, they might need that elevated ceiling of a goalie, just having a few ridiculous games uh, to help them kind of push them over the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, All right. Let's, uh, Let's finish it off here with Islanders penguins as the, uh, the last series we're going to talk about today. Where do you want to start off with this one?
0: Uh, Let's start with the Islanders. I, uh, they're a team where I, I just, I don't, I don't know what to make of them,
1: you know? Well, there are definitely, this is a good test case series for how much the way you're playing, heading into the postseason matters because the Islanders really limped in. They lost a bunch of games. They probably shouldn't have like to the Sabres, for example, and they fell to this position, whereas the Penguins took advantage of the teams they were playing, really took care of business and earned the one seed. Despite all that, I've learned over the past couple of years to not bet against Barry Trotz because I have a lot of respect and confidence for his ability and his coaching staff's ability to game plan in a series like this, in a series setting where you're playing the same team over and over again. You identify either a weakness of theirs or a strength of theirs, and you just take it away and you put them at a really tough spot. And we've seen him do that to a bunch of teams over the past couple of years. And I would not be surprised to see that again. I imagine there's going to be a lot of Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak versus Crosby's line, in which case it's really going to test Pittsburgh's secondary scoring, which has been great lately. Jeff Carter scoring a bunch of goals. Jared McCann looks awesome. Malkin's back now. Kapanen's been fantastic off the rush. But the engine for that team still is Crosby Gensel, Rust, And if they can neutralize them, all of a sudden it It makes it much more uncertain. yeah. Yeah
0: yep but like th- that is that is the thing you know, um uh let's see I, I just had it up pulled up here um since since the deadline their uh the islanders are five, six and three uh three of those uh wins are in regulation only, so they have three regulation wins in their last uh fourteen games. Mm-hmm. Um, and those wins are against the Rangers, the Rangers, and the Devils. So it's not like they've even really made it all that interesting. But, you know, um, since, since, like, in the last month, basically, uh, I have them, or I I have them. I wrote down that they are. Uh, I've been manually last. tracking all their shots. Yeah, bets. and, and uh, no, even it's even stupider than that, Dimitri, because I said they are, uh, I wrote down they are last in five-on-five five goals per sixty, but fourth in goals against per sixty. So like, yep. they're 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 playing uh, Islanders brand playoff hockey where it's like there's nothing happening in these games. Like it's there's there's one goal a game at five-on-five five and that's it.
1: Yeah, I think they, uh, I think they're a different 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 animal in a postseason setting. There's there's sure. I, I, it's it's the least analytical take I could probably have, but it's there's something about the way they play. And it's not necessarily like defensive brand of hockey. I just like, I trust them to play the way they should be playing against a specific opponent, I guess. And, uh, yeah.
0: And like they, they, I think what everybody would say is, you know, playoff hockey is inherently more conservative, not necessarily defensive, but just like, everybody's just kind of like, okay.
1: Yeah. You don't want to mess up.
0: Be careful. Exactly. And so they've been playing that way for 56 games. You know what I mean? Like they, that is their approach. And that's why it works for them in the playoffs, at, although you have to say right up until it doesn't, because when they lose the series, it's like, oh, they shouldn't have even gotten off the bus for this series. Like, they got destroyed. Uh, and so, yeah, I do wonder when that happens. It doesn't seem like it happens in the first round very often. But then again, to your point earlier, uh, you know, it's Pelican Pulak versus Crosby. That's fine who's stopping Malkin and then who's stopping that Jeff Carter.
1: Line. Yeah. Well, Carter you know, like, and McCann, the way they've been playing is a big X factor here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And I, I wrote down, is, is this like reminiscent of the HBK line where you're just like, Oh yeah. Their third line is actually their best one. Uh, like most exciting, most, uh, can break a game open kind of a line. I don't know.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so I was thinking back to that, uh, that series two years ago where the Islanders swept them in a very convincing fashion. And obviously different teams, especially for the Penguins, they've had a lot of changes. I remember from that series, like the Islanders for a check against the Penguins, like the Penguins cannot leave their zone with possession. And I was looking back and I was like, Oh, they gave games to Eric Branson, Jack Johnson, Olimata, you and Justin Schultz and, uh, you know, say what you will about them. Like Mike Matheson being able to carry the puck out of the zone successfully is very useful in this type of setting. Uh, you know, John Marino obviously is very good and he didn't play back then. So um, that's a that's an interesting wrinkle here for the Penguins and the ability because, you know, the Islanders, like they're going to get the puck deep. They're going to make it very difficult for you to get any type of momentum moving back the other way. They're going to load up on the blue line and make life hell for you entering the zone. And so... It'll be pose an interesting challenge for the Penguins because they've been feasting a lot on on you know and getting out on the rush and scoring a, a million goals off of these great looks that he's getting. And I don't envision them getting too many of those in this matchup, which would give me a little right. bit, of, bit of a cause for concern if I was the Penguins because I think it's going to be much tougher sledding in that regard. But the fact that they have so much more uh, scoring options and, and versatility now compared to back then is is huge and it's a big difference maker for them.
0: Yeah, the, obviously, you know uh, Malkin missed a ton of time, came back for a few games, has missed more time, um, and the la- the last reports I read out of Pittsburgh were like hey, he might not be a hundred percent, but he's going to go and 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 to your point, like Mike Matheson is skating again, but like he might not be ready to go for this series either. But like the the Penguins, I think the thing I, I keep uh, coming back to is you know the Penguins. Defensive core, like we don't maybe think about it, you know, like we used to, for example. But uh, surprisingly competent, I think, is what you would say up and down the lineup. But with that having been said, like the Barzal line just took the Marino pair to school this year, and so I wonder if that if they try to stick with that matchup or or if they kind of shift things around. Just what do you think?
1: What do you think would surprise people more that Leo Komarov has been playing top line left wing for the Islanders or that? Barzal and Eberle have been perfectly fine with him on their left wing.
0: I let's put it this way: when you look, when you think about the Islanders' depth chart, I guess you would go like, you know what? Maybe Komarov is that guy. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I can't think of anybody else to put there. You know? Um, Yeah, it's their their forward group is like on paper terrible. Like you look at it, and you're like, I mean, especially with Andres Lee out. Yeah, that's Um, a big loss like Paul, Paul Mary, obviously that hasn't panned out. Nobody thought on say Jack was going to really move the needle for him. I don't think. Um, but like, yeah, you just, you just look at that Islander, that Islanders forward group and go, I mean, I guess, I guess that's technically an NHL forward group, but.
1: Well, Perzal is insanely good. Yeah. Uh, and him and Eberle are really fun. Um, you know, and and, and and they they are going to have their games. Yeah, Josh Bailey's
0: a perfectly good, like depth forward broadcast. Well, I'm, I'm curious yeah, to like, see
1: if they can squeeze squeeze some goals out of Palmieri and Wallstrom in this series because obviously, like for well, them finding to, right find, manufacturing easier looks and easier goals is especially without involving Barzell is huge for them, and whenever they can get it, it's important. And and uh, and they're going to need those guys to whether it's on the power play or a couple sort of opportunistic five on five goals, they'll need it.
0: Yeah, no, and like the th- the thing to say is you know. I'm looking at their goal-scoring leaders here. They have seven guys, including Lee, who's not going to play, obviously, um, who cleared 10 goals this year. I bet there aren't a ton of teams that have more guys than that who who hit double digits in goals this season. Maybe. I don't know. But, like, Wallstrom had 12 goals in 44 games. Lee had 12 in 27. Like, these aren't... They kind of sneak up on you, I guess, is my point, as opposed to, like, you look at, again, you look at that and you go, sure, yeah, those are all, those are all NHL players, but okay, they they have six guys who, who score double-digit goals in the lineup, you know, that's fine.
1: I'm riding the fence here. I, before the season, picked the Penguins to finish first in the East. They did yep. that. I am also on record saying that I am an Islanders believer, and I think they're a better team than people give them credit for, so... I uh I can't go wrong with it this. Yeah,
0: point. no, like they have they have the personnel to play the way they want to play and it it works for him. You and can't you say know, it doesn't work for him.
1: And people dismiss that, but if it was this easy to do all the bad teams in the league would be trying to do it, right? Like, right. No, really I'm
0: not, I'm not saying that derisively at all. Like, no, no, of course, of course. I'm just saying, the,
1: like, I know because people are like, oh, well, of course they're they're successful. They're playing this way, and it's like, well, I'm sure the Vancouver Canucks would love to get these results with yeah, Brandon oh, Sutter absolutely. and J.B. Go, but they're not getting it.
0: Right. And and again, you know, Barry Trotz, like, can you put Brandon Sutter on the on the New York Islanders and make him more valuable? I would 100 buy that. You know what I mean? Like he just. He just knows how to put guys in the positions they need to be in. And that's, that's true going back even to the Predators days, honestly. So yeah, I, you know, uh, obviously on paper, you're just like, well, this is a walkover for the Penguins and anybody who's watched Islanders hockey the last few years is like, absolutely it is not, you know? So I I think, I think this is going to be a pretty close series unless they do have Malkin back 100% and they're just like, oh yeah, our top three lines are just going to each score a goal every game. And that's the end of that.
1: You know, I do think we'll, we'll know pretty quickly into the series, which way it's going to go. Yep, like we'll it, you'll see if the penguins in game one are just attacking a ton off the rush and getting easy looks. You'll be like, okay, well, yeah, it makes sense. But if that, all of a sudden it's an entirely different animal in game one, I think uh, people will be shifting their tunes. Um, All right. I think that's, that's it for this series, right? Do you have anything else? Uh, do you want to quickly touch on the West? Like we're not going to do yeah, a matchup, sure. matchup by matchup, but just uh, since I'm not going to do a podcast about it, we can get into a little bit here. Uh, what are you looking for in the West?
0: Well, uh, Vegas, uh, you know, they they did the thing where uh, they absolutely pounded the bad teams and uh, they were four and four against Colorado and three, four and one against Minnesota in the regular season. Um, they better hope they finish first. They better They better hope Colorado drops his game tonight. Because I don't like a, a matchup against Minnesota for them at all, and I think they're really good, but yeah. it it, ju- it just seems like boy they they can't stop whatever the Wild are doing offensively.
1: Yeah, I think the Wild are more dangerous than the Blues. I I, I we were robbed of it last year because of those meddling kids in Dallas that got in the way of it, but. Yeah we need an avs knights second round series like yeah, the regular season matchups though, that 4-4 four, four, like man it's been the level they've those two teams have played at even without like full lineups for a lot of those has nope. been so good and uh, i'm really curious to see cuz the knights are no one's a good matchup for the avs uh because right, if the avs are healthy they they'll be fine regardless but that knights are one of the few teams that can keep up with their speed while also giving them a bit of trouble physically just because they have a lot of really big strong players. And so, yep. uh, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I wanted to make a note on the Avs; They're currently sitting at 60.1 shot attempt share at FI five and 60.3 expected goal share. Those are the only, uh, represent the only ones <coughs> since 2007 above 60%, obviously only 56 games playing against the same teams, but, uh, the teams in that ballpark basically all either made the Stanley cup final or won it. Uh, it's like the wings in 08, 09, Blackhawks in 29, uh, 2009 and 10 Kings in 2013, 14. So uh, it's a good neighborhood for them to be in and a good sort of predictor of maybe what's to come. And I want to see these two teams play each other because I think it might be the two best teams in the league. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I think that, I think that's about right. Um, The the thing that I wrote down for, for the abs and like X factors, and it's like, they don't even really need an X factor. And it's like, well, we did just get this kid, Alex new hook. He's got like, three points in five games or something, you, you know, he barely played college hockey this year. Um, just, Oh, finally, the Avs get another uh, scoring threat. Okay, great.
1: They needed it. Good work, Avs. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and, uh, you know, like, like the the whole thing of like you said to make a note of like, uh, for the homework, like make a note of how you think, uh, the, the team wins. And I just, uh, I said, I printed out their roster just so I could like point at it and tap it. Like here, here's the roster. This is what, this is how they're going to win. Um, like they're, they're that good and, you know, Vegas, um, yeah, I think they're really good, but obviously they have some center depth questions and, and, um, I think maybe the play of Marc-Andre Fleury this year, which has been incredible and, and probably is Vezina worthy, I think. Um, how much did he paper over what otherwise could be some, some concerning matchup? problems and that kind of thing against a team with actual center depth and that sort of thing. I don't, I, I don't know. I think that's maybe a lesser concern just because you're like, well, I mean, we have uh, Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson, so we're not going to worry that much about anything that happens. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the one thing I'm, I'm really curious about is, and th- this is, I think a, a very legitimate thing. Remember every uh, last year, everybody was like, Oh, pierre Le Dubois guy. Holy shit. Right. right. Like incredible. You know who I think is that guy for Vegas is Alex Tuck. Like Alex Tuck, I can absolutely just see going, "Hop on, boys! I'm driving the bus here. Like we're 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 gonna go for it." Like, I think that kind of really happened think...
1: last postseason, though. No,
0: he a, a, a little bit, but like he he did, sure. But like I'm saying, like where everybody in the hockey world is like, "Have we been underrating Alex Tuck for the last four years?" And it's like, I mean, he wasn't that good, but like now, you know, he always kind of had this in him. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of his his whole like uh like he has that a real opportunity to do that
1: yeah um all right well uh i think that's that's good i think we did a good preview here um plug some stuff where to what have you put out recently and where can people check you out
0: EPRingside.com. uh very good
1: website yeah
0: yeah website for very handsome gentlemen um and yeah you know uh, i i think i i wrote about uh john tortorella getting uh, getting fired this week and like, what should his legacy in Columbus be? Because I got yelled at for being like, was he really that good in Columbus? And everybody in Columbus was like, yeah, he was the greatest coach ever. No, nobody. Well,
1: cared. considering their franchise history, like, yeah, well, right, it, it and and
0: yeah. So, my, but my point in writing that was like, I mean, if like making the playoffs every year, like, if you think just being in the playoffs every year is like a, a big deal, like, good for you. That that I guess that does make John Tortorella a, a smashing success, but. I, I don't know. I'd like to see more out of my coach than like my legendary coach who deserves this amazing send off kind of a thing.
1: Um, well, I'm sure the 2018, 19 Tampa Bay lightning disagree with you.
0: Exactly. Four, four <laughs> playoff wins in, in six years that anybody really cares about. Great. Um, and then, yeah, I also wrote about how Jeff Carter has been really good uh, for the penguins uh, earlier this week. So that seems like it's holding true. And then I'll uh, listen to puck soup. If you uh, are so inclined um, it's me, it's Greg Wyshansky, it's Sean McAdoo. And we uh, sometimes yell at each other, but sometimes we all agree. So. <laughs> all
1: right, man. Well, this is a blast. I'm, uh, I'm glad we got to do this. Enjoy the postseason, and we will, uh, we'll check back in soon.
0: All right. Have a good one, bud.
1: All right, that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey HockeypedioCast. Hopefully you enjoyed our uh, playoff preview of the East and Central Divisions with Ryan Lambert. We're going to have plenty more playoff content coming. We've got a North Division podcast coming early next week that'll help preview those two matchups. Uh, and we're going to use the extra days here before it starts to to get ready for that and, and uh, put out a good podcast out for you. And uh, yeah, I wish we could have done more on the West, but I felt that it didn't really make sense to sort of size up the matchups considering we didn't necessarily know who was going to be playing who at the time we were recording. So instead, what we're going to do is once the series actually get going, we'll make sure to do a full show devoted to those two matchups in particular and really kind of break down the X's and O's and what's happening. So, look forward to that i'm really pumped for the postseason i hope you are as well it's obviously a bit tricky to prognosticate just because it feels like this year more so than any other there's so many sort of moving parts or questions up in the air in terms of injuries and what teams are going to look like heading in but i think the matchups as they uh as they're looking on paper right now are very intriguing and are going to be really fun to watch so uh i'm looking forward to that and yeah. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Hockey PDOcast, uh please consider helping us out by leaving a quick rating and review. A lot of you have done so already. They're great. They're all really appreciated. Uh, thank you so much for those of you who have done so already. If you've been holding out and haven't done so yet, i assure sure it's really easy to do and it helps us a lot and goes a long way towards helping the Pediacast cast moving forward. So please take the time to do so. And yeah, that's going to be it. We're going to get out of here now, listen to the outro music, and we'll be back soon with more playoff content. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash